Ware had been built between and round five giant hairs. There were really three cities ringed one inside the other. Inside the thick outer walls was Imperial Ware, a city of wide avenues paved with wood and salt. Few people actually lived in Imperial Ware. It was a city for looking at, not living in. Outside it, separated by a wall of sharpened hair stakes, was Merchant's Ware, the city most people thought of as the real city. Ware was where people came to trade. And then, off to one side of the bustling city, was a tiny walled enclosure about the size of a village. This was Ware, the first Ware, the little village where the Dumai had begun. Snibril didn't see old Ware until much later. He saw the walls of the city stretching away on either side. Everything looked peaceful. There could be trouble if we try to take the deaf meanies in, Carius whispered to Snibril. Not could. Snibril agreed. Would. So we'll camp outside for now. Something's not right, Carrier said. You know how you can sense when there's going to be an attack by Frey? Yeah? I'm the same about trouble. I can feel it. Come on. Snibril rode after the sergeant through the streets. It was like Trigon Maris, only bigger, much bigger. Carius led him to a barracks just outside the Imperial City, and eventually they reached a table out in the open air, at which a skinny little Dumai was sitting behind a pile of papers. He looked harassed. Yes, he demanded. I am, the sergeant began. I don't know people barge in here. I expect you haven't even got any papers, have you? No, of course you haven't. Well, come on, name and rank, name and rank. Sergeant Carius, 15th Legion, said Carius. 15th Legion, 15th Legion, said the skinny man, shuffling through the papers. We were summoned back, said Carius. There was a messenger, return at once to where. We had to fight most of... There have been a lot of changes, said the paper shuffler. What sort of changes? Snibril said quickly. The man looked at him. Who's this? he said suspiciously. Look said Carrius patiently. We've come all the way back because... Oh, this fray business, said the skinny man. All sorted out. There's been a treaty. A treaty? With fray? said Snibril. A peace treaty with the moles, of course. Don't you know anything? Snibril opened his mouth. Carrius gripped his arm. Oh, he said loudly and distinctly. Well, isn't that nice? We won't disturb you further. Come, Snibril. Why did you do that? said Snibril as the sergeant hurried him out. Because if we want to find out things, we won't find them out by making that clerk eat all his little bits of paper, said Carrius. The army camped out among the hares. It was while groups of them picked up firewood among the hares that they found the pones. There were a dozen of them. Pones could hide quite easily in the carpet, they were so big. People think that it's easiest to hide things that are small, but it's almost as easy to hide things that are too big to see. They all turned their heads to look at their discoverers, burped, and then looked away. They looked as if they'd been told to wait for someone. The sign outside the shop said apothecary, which meant that the shop was owned by a sort of early chemist. The apothecary's name was Owlglass, he hummed to himself as he worked in his back room. He'd found a new type of blue fluff, which he was grinding down. It was probably good for curing something. He'd have to try it out on people until he found out what. 
A hand touched him on the shoulder. He said. He turned around. He peered over the top of his spectacles. Pismaya, he said. Keep your voice down. We came in the back way, said Pismaya. My word, I expect you did, said Owlglass. Don't worry, there's no one in the shop. He looked past the old man to Glurk and Bane and Bracando. My word, he said again. After all this time, eh? Well, welcome. My house is your house. His brow suddenly furrowed, and he looked worried. Although only in a metaphorical sense, you understand, because I would not, much as I always admired your straightforward approach, actually give you my house, it being the only house I have, and therefore the term is being extended in an, as it were, gratuitous fashion. Owlglass was clearly having some trouble getting to the end of the sentence. Glurk tapped Pismire on the shoulder. He's a philosopher too, is he? he said. You can tell, can't you? said Pismire. Um, Alglass, thanks very much. We need some food, he went on. And most of all, we want information, said Bane. What's happening here? Which would you like first, said Alglass. Food, said Glurk. The others glared at him. Make yourself at home, said Alglass. Although, of course, when I say home, I don't precisely mean yes, yes, thank you very much said Pismire. Owlglass bustled over to a cupboard. Glurk stared at the jars and pots that littered the back room. In some of the jars, things stared back. Owlglass and I went to school together, said Pismire. And then Owlglass decided he was going to study the carpet, the properties of different kinds of hair, rare and strange animals, that sort of thing. And Pismire decided he was going to study people said Owlglass, producing a loaf and some butter, and got sentenced to death for calling the last emperor a... Uh, what was it now? Well, he deserved it, said Pismire. He wouldn't give me any money to preserve the library. He said we didn't need a lot of old books. We knew all we needed to know. I was trying to remember what you called him. An ignorant sybarite who didn't have the sense of a meat pie said Pismire. Sounds pretty nasty, sentencing someone to death just for that, said Clerk, putting the loaf on his plate. He kept turning around to look at the jar behind him. It had something hairy in it. Actually, he got sentenced to death for apologising, said Owlglass. How can you be sentenced to death for apologising? He said he was sorry, but on reflection he realised that the Emperor had got the sense of a meat pie said Owlglass. "'You insulted the Emperor,' said Bricando. "'I didn't know you were famous.' "'And accurate,' said Bane. "'Targon's father was a disgrace to the Empire. "'So what's happening in where?' he continued shortly. "'There's hardly a guard on the gates. This is disgusting. "'Don't people know what's happening? "'The Empire's being attacked. My Empire!' "'If no one wants that piece of cheese, pass it along,' said Glurk. "'The Emperor says that Ware is perfectly safe,' said Owlglass. "'These new advisers say so, apparently.' "'Advisers?' said Pismire. "'There aren't any pickles around, are there?' said Glurk. "'Advisers,' said Bane. "'And has anyone seen these advisers?' "'Don't think so,' said Owlglass. "'Is there any more of this cucumber?' 
It's how they work, said Bane. From inside, like Geopard and the High Gateland. Yes, but not where, said Pismire. Hardly anyone is allowed in the palace these days, said Owlglass. What can we do, said Pismire. Slice em, said Glurk, waving a cucumber. Bane put his hand on his sword. Yes, he said. I knew this would happen. Where was a great city once? We fought for things, and when we got them, we just sat back. No more effort, no more pride, just fat young emperors and stupid courtiers. Well, I'm not having that. Let's go. He stood up. Oh, no, said Pismire. What are you going to do? Barge into the palace waving your sword and kill any mules you see? Brocando stood up, too. Good thinking, he said. That's ridiculous. Tell them, Glurk. Yes, it is ridiculous, said Glurk. Right, said Pismire. We finish our tea, said Glurk, and then attack the palace. Mad, said Pismire. Listen, said Bane, standing up. You know what she said. Nothing is too small to make a difference. One person at the right time. There's three of us, said Bricando. Even better. Oh, blast, I suppose I'd better come, sighed Pismire. If only to see you don't do anything too stupid. Can I come too? said Owlglass. See, said Bane. Imagine what a difference five can make. After a while, Glurk said, Anyone any idea about how we get in? Snibril was learning something. He was learning about the power of sergeants. Carius had found the palace kitchens, because sergeants always know how to find a kitchen, and then he found the head cook, who was an old friend. This is Mealy, he said, introducing Snibril to a huge red-faced man with a scar across his nose, a patch over one eye, and only one arm. He used to be in the army, like me. Was uh, he a sergeant too? said Snibril. That's right, said Mealy, grinning. The scar seemed to grin too. When he stepped around the table, Snibril saw that he had a wooden leg. Strange stuff happening, Mealy, said the sergeant. No error, said Mealy. Top brass have been sacked all over the place. No one's seen the Emperor for a fortnight. Spends all his time in his rooms. Has all his meals sent in. And uh, these advisers, said Snibril. What about them? No one's seen them said Mealy, scratching his back with a ladle. Moolish, said Snibril. Several other cooks had wandered up and were listening with interest. They all looked very similar to Mealy. There were six of them, but only enough arms and legs for about four people. Right, said Mealy. We don't like it, but there's only a handful of us. If we had some lads with us... Carius and Snibril looked at one another. They're right here, in the palace, said Snibril. He looked around at the cooks. They were all very big men. You were all sergeants, weren't you? He said. I can tell. Let's go and... He stared into the darkness at the end of the sooty kitchen. Who's she? He said. Who? The sergeant turned. Snibril hesitated. There was someone there, he mumbled. In white? He stopped. No women in the kitchens, said Mealy. Snibril shook himself. Must have imagined it, he told himself. Sergeant Carius, can you get back and bring the army? He said. To attack where? Said Carius. To defend it, said Snibril. Who will we be fighting? By the time we get back, 
I hope we'll have an enemy, said Snibril. Have you cooks got any weapons? Mealy grinned. He picked up a long meat cleaver and brought it down on a chopping block. The chopping block split. Oh, us? he said. The guards on the palace gate were nervous anyway. They didn't like their job, but orders are orders, even if you're not sure where they came from. And they were even more nervous when four heavily cloaked whites turned up at the gate, pushing a cart. One of the guards stepped forward. Halt, he said. His companion nudged him. They're whites, he said. That's right, said one of the whites. The first guard said doubtfully, but one of them's eating a cucumber. I expect whites have to eat. I don't think you're whites at all, said the first guard. The white who was eating cucumber turned its head towards him. Can prove it, it said. Can tell you the future. Oh, yes. The white took a club off the cart. Going to get hit, said Glurk. Not too hard, said Bane, pushing his hood back. He's not an enemy. Glurk hit the guard in as friendly a way as possible. The second guard started to draw his sword, but felt something pointed touch his back. Drop the sword, said Pismire. And when we say drop, we mean let go in a downward direction, said Owlglass, hopping up and down. Isn't this exciting? Mealy knocked on a large, ornate door. Two cooks behind him were pushing a trolley. A white tablecloth hung down on all sides. After a while, a courtier opened the door. Dinner, said Mealy. Bring it in. Oh, the cook. Very well, said the courtier. The trolley was wheeled through. There was another room beyond. It was empty. There was a closed door in the opposite wall. Leave it in there, said the courtier. Then be off. Right, right, said Mealy. The cooks pushed the trolley into the next room. Then they filed out obediently. Don't you ever wonder what happens next? said Mealy. It's not my job to wonder about the Emperor's business, sniffed the courtier, and certainly not with a cook. In fact, said Mealy, taking off his tall cook's hat, I'm the sergeant. You lads there. Attention. Two guards stood to attention. Several more cooks filed into the room. Each of them was carrying something sharp. This is, the courtier began, and then realised that he was in a room with half a dozen large armed men. Against orders, he said. Mealy limped over to the door and put his one ear to it. Just wait in to see what happens next. The long cloth made a sort of mobile tent. Snibril heard the door shut behind him. After a minute or two, another door opened. He smelled mool. The trolley moved. The door shut, and this time it shut behind him, in a very final kind of way. Only now did he hear voices. Yeah, dinner, sire. A mool voice. I'm not hungry. It was a human voice, but with a sulky whine in it. Sire must eat, mool voice. Otherwise there will be nothing left of sire. What's happening outside? Why won't you tell me what's happening outside? The civil war rages on, another mole voice. You have enemies on all sides. Only we can protect you. I'll call Frey down on them. The Emperor, thought Snibril horrified. Only well-bred people can be as rude as that. Soon, 
soon, just as we did in Geopard, a third moon voice. I'm hungry now. Have you finished tasting my food? Not quite, sire, but it's nearly all gone. Poison could be even in the last bite, said a moon voice, and it occurred to Snibril it was speaking with its mouth full. Yes, yes, of course you're right, said the emperor uncertainly. I've never trusted those cooks. They've got far too many bits missing. Even so, perhaps a crust. Why, certainly, sire. I think we can trust a little of this gravy. We've come all this way to defend this, thought Snibril. And then he thought, what would Bane say about this? He'd say, he's the emperor, whatever else he might be. You've got to do something. Oh, well, I just hope Mealy is still outside. I thought those guards took it very well, considering, said Pismire. Considering what? said Glurk. Considering we've just hit them. They positively wanted to be tied up, I thought. They didn't like what they had to do. I still did it, though, said Bricando. Stupid! They reached another archway. There were two more guards there. Bane stepped forward. You, men! Ice face! Present! Arms! Very good. Come on, people! One of the soldiers looked doubtful. Got orders to let no one through! he managed. We're not anyone, said Bane, and that's an order. The guard stood to attention. Yes, sir. Very good, sir, he said. Don't talk to me. I'm not here, said Bane. The guard started to speak, and then nodded instead. Good man. Come on. Owlglass tapped the guard on the shoulder as he passed through. Of course, uh, when we say we're not here, we mean only in a figurative, or Pismire grabbed him by his collar. Come on! There were four mules in the room, staring at Snibril in astonishment. There was also a young man of about his age, who, oddly enough, was reacting faster than the mules. The Emperor raised a pudgy hand covered in rings. "'He's not a cook!' he wailed. "'He's all there! So why's he here?' Snibril dropped his spear and grabbed the arm. "'You come with me,' he said, and added, "'Sire!' He waved his sword at the mules. "'It's one against four he said. That means I'm four times more likely to hit one of you. The Emperor struggled in Snibril's grip. I'm here to rescue you, said Snibril. These are mules. They're destroying the Empire. The Empire is safe and well, said the Emperor smugly. Snibril was astonished. What about Frey, he said. John Relish and his people can control Frey, said the Emperor. Frey only strikes my enemies, isn't that so? Yes, sir, said the one called John Relish. He was a tall mule. This one's not like Gormalish, Snibril thought. This one looks clever. Drop the sword and let go of him, said John Relish. If you don't, we will call down Frey. Right now, said Snibril. Yes. Do it then. No, wailed the Emperor. Snibril's head felt quite clear. You can't, he said. They can't, sire. It's just a threat. They can't do it. Now he had time to look around, he could see in one corner of the big room a hole. You came up from Underlay, he said. That was clever. The mules drew their swords and dashed towards him. Snibril backed towards the door, fending off blows as best he could. He kicked the door. Mealy, 
Open up! The door swung open. The room beyond was empty. Snibril dragged the Emperor into it. The cooks had been standing behind the doors. They stepped, or at least hopped, out. Mealy hit a maul over the head with a ladle. There's more coming out of a hole in the floor, said Snibril. Good! What's happening? Why is all this happening? said the Emperor. He didn't look angry any more. He looked frightened and a lot younger. Most of the mules dived back into the hole, colliding with one another in their desperation to escape. Mealy's kitchen army dragged a heavy table across the room and upended it over the hole. Mealy wiped his hand on his apron. Ah, he said, all done. I'm afraid we're only just beginning, said Snibril. There could be thousands of them underneath us right now. Everyone must do what I say, screamed the Emperor. I am in charge. The sergeants turned to look at him. The Emperor's little piggy eyes glanced from Mealy to the table to Snibril and back again. Then he shouted, Guards! A couple of armed men stepped into the room. I want these men locked up, shouted the Emperor. Really? said Bane. What for? They brought the army in. In order to save a lot of explaining, they did it by getting a signed order from the Emperor. It was signed of his own free will, after Glurk explained patiently that if it wasn't signed of his own free will, there would be trouble. Then there was a council of war. I always knew this would happen, said Bane. Once upon a time the Emperor was elected. Then Targon made it hereditary, so that stupid brat of his could take over. Hardly anyone objected. It's as bad as having kings. That's going too far, said Bricando. Don't start arguing, said Snibril. We ought to be wondering what the mules are doing. They're doing what they always do, said Bane. They're waiting for Frey, so they can attack when everyone's disorganised. It'll happen, said Pismire despondently. Where's the Emperor? Glurk and the cooks have got him locked up in the kitchens, said Bane. He looked down at a scrap of paper in front of him. With every fighting man we've got, we're still less than fifteen hundred people, he said. Less than that, in fact, said Pismire. You can't leave women and children and old people in the city. We'll have to get them to safety and guard them. No, arm the women, said Bricando. Don't be stupid, said Bane. Women don't know how to fight. Deaf meanie women do, said Bricando. Oh, yes? Who with? Deaf meanie men, said Bricando. He's got a point, said Pismire. My granny had a wallop like a wrestler. I absolutely forbid it, said Bane. Women fighting, that's not warfare, that's just a vulgar mess. Fine, said Bricando. All right, no fighting women. Snibril noticed that he was grinning in a funny way. Besides, said Bane, there's not enough weapons to go round as it is. There's a whole armory in the palace, said Owlglass. When we unlocked it, there was nothing in there but a hole in the floor, said Bane. The moles have got them. He slapped his hand on the table. They're out there, he said, and down there. I know it, just waiting. After Frey strikes, they'll attack. That's how it'll happen. Snibril had been listening to this. I can help, he said. They all looked at him. I can sense when Frey's coming, he said. It's true, said Sergeant Carius. I've seen him do it. Well, that'll be a help, said Bane. No, you don't understand, said Snibril. What do the mules do before Frey strikes? How should I know, said Bane. 
lie down and put their hands over their eyes if they're sensible, and then attack immediately. He seemed to think about this. When they expect to find a crushed enemy, he finished. Snibril nodded. Pismire said, It might work, you know. Forewarned is forearmed. There was silence, and then Bracando said, Forearmed? Does that mean we can hold twice as many swords? They won. And that was more or less all the history books said later, after new ware was built out of the rubble of the city. They were more concerned with the election of Bain as president, since he was considered to be honest and brave and without any imagination. The people who wrote the history books weren't there. They didn't know how it happened, and all the other ways it could have gone. First, there was the question of weapons. Mealy took charge of that. Spears, for example. You tied a kitchen knife on the end of a stick, and you couldn't tell the difference, especially if it got stuck in you. Glurk spent a lot of time helping the sergeants. Bracando was put in charge of guarding the women and children. Snibril thought he grinned too much when he agreed to this, and Bane was everywhere, giving orders, making plans. Snibril felt at a loose end. Eventually he found Bane, who was leaning on the battlements over one of the main gates looking out at the hares. There were always guards here with a bugle to warn the city in case of attack. "'Can't see anything,' said Snibril. "'We've sent patrols out.' "'I wasn't looking for mauls,' said Bane. "'What were you looking for, then?' Hm. "'Oh, uh, no one,' said Bane. "'A figure in white,' said Snibril. "'I've seen her, too. "'She has to watch, to make things happen.' Bane seemed to pull himself together. I don't like this, he said briskly. It's too quiet. Better than too noisy, said Snibril. How's your head? Can't feel anything, said Snibril. Sure? Feels fine. Ah. Uh. Look, said Snibril. Everyone's ready. What's going to happen next? You've got the Emperor in prison. What's going to happen afterwards? Do you think there's going to be an afterwards? said Bane gloomily. There's always an afterwards, said Snibril. He scratched his head. There was an itch behind his ear. Bane, I thought from what you said that the whites might help, but they just ran off. Bane, Bane turned. You all right? Snibril felt that his ears were being pressed into the middle of his head. Frey, said Bane. Snibril nodded, and even that hurt. Bane strode along the top of the wall to the nearest guard and picked up the bugle. It's a funny thing. When there's a warning signal, when people have known forever that there's a warning signal, and that warning signal is sounded for the very first time, people don't react properly. They wander out blearily, saying things like, someone's mucking about with the warning signal, aren't they? And who's blowing the warning signal? That's for warnings, that is. Which is what happened now. Bane looked down at the streets filled with bewildered people and groaned. It's starting, he shouted. Now! Oh, right. A moment later the air was filled with shouted orders. Snibril sank to his knees as Ware emptied itself around him. Squad 3, main square, keep away from buildings. Remember, they can come up from underneath. Okay, line up the pones. Snibril groped his way towards the rail where he had tethered Roland. He pulled himself onto the horse's back and joined the flow of people leaving Ware. 
Then the animals started to feel the effects of fray. The pones, which were already outside the gate, started to trumpet. Horses neighed and several bolted. The houses began to tremble very gently. Then came the creaking, long and drawn out, as thousands of hairs were forced downwards by the tremendous weight. It's right overhead, Snibril thought. Roland cantered through the arch of the gateway. The walls collapsed. The ground moved like the skin of an animal smashing the houses. Snibril's ears popped. The relief almost made him want to cry. He looked back at the city. Walls were still toppling as the carpet itself bent under fray, but nearly everyone had got out. Right over us, Snibril thought, as if something wants to kill us. But Pismire thinks Frey's just some kind of natural force we can't understand. Snibril looked at the hairs around Ware, which erupted moors. He had time to turn Roland around and race back towards the city. Bane's head poked up as Roland leapt over the ditch in the dust. There's thousands of them! Wait until they get closer, said Bane. Snibril looked along the ditch. At this point, most of the defenders were Dumai-eyed bowmen, lying down calmly and watching the black wall moving towards them. Aren't they close enough yet? Not yet, said Bane. Sergeant Carius, give the signal to be ready. Yes, sir! There was a flicker on the mound of dust behind them. Snibril and Bane turned to see a white figure staring intently at the onrushing horde. Then it vanished. Sergeant Carius, said Bane quietly. Sir? The moment is now. Yes, sir. Squad one, wait for it, wait for it. Squad one, fire. Squad one, back. Squad two, forward. Squad two, fire. Not many people had ever seen Dumai archers in action. Or rather, they had, but since arrows had been heading towards them, they'd never had much of a chance to make detailed notes. There was a howl from the attackers. That was another Dumai lesson. Hit the front line of a rushing attack, and the enemy had to spend too much time trying to avoid tripping over itself. Deathmenes had a technique for fighting enemies three times as high as they were. They'd run up them until they got to shoulder height, and hang on with one hand and fight with the other. It meant that half the mules were stabbing at their own heads. There were two more charges before it dawned on the mules that things had gone wrong. They grouped around the hares, and there were still too many of them. "'We could keep this up all day,' said Bracando. "'No, we can't,' said Bane. "'We've got enough for one more charge, and that's it. "'And if it comes to hand-to-hand -hand fighting, they've got more hands than we have.' "'I thought we were four-armed,' said Bracando. "'Figure of speech. We're outnumbered and out-weaponed. "'Here they come again,' said Snibrel. "'Hang on. Just a few of them. Look.' Half a dozen snags were trotting out of the line. They want to talk, said Bane. Can we trust them? said Clerk. No. Good. I'd hate to trust something like them. But you should talk, said Pismire. In the end, they rode out to the mules. Snibril recognised the leader, who now had a crown of salt crystals, and watched them imperiously. But Bane was more interested in Gormalish, who was among the party. Well? said Bane. What do you have to say? My name is Jonah Relish, said the mole with the crown. I offer you peace. You cannot win. Throw away your weapons, then we will talk further. Throw away my sword first, said Bane, as if he was considering the question. 
Yes, you have no choice. John Alicia's gaze swept from face to face. Throw away my sword, Bane said slowly. It's、uh, an attractive idea. He drew the sword and held it up. Gormalish, he said. Bane's arm moved in the blur of speed. The sword slid through the air like a knife, hitting the mool in the throat. Gormalish dropped silently, staring in horror. There, said Bane. That's how we throw our swords away in where. He turned his horse and galloped back to the city, with the others trying to keep up. John Alicia hadn't moved a muscle. That was very undo my eye of you," said Pismire. "I'm surprised." He was drawing his sword," said Bane. "Didn't you see?" "They're getting ready for another charge," said Glurk. Bane looked back at the worried faces of the defenders. "Get the pounds ready. We'll use everything we've got." "Everything," said Bracando. "Right." He trotted his pony back along the ditch. They waited. "Here they come," said Glurk, picking up his spear. "Right." Said Bane. Oh, um, has anyone got a spare sword? In the end, it's people fighting, arrows and spears everywhere, swords cutting bits off people. The maps can't show the fear and the noise and the excitement. Afterwards, it's better, because if there's an afterwards, it's because you're still alive. Snibrel ducked and stabbed his way through the melee. There seemed to be mules everywhere. The defenders were losing. You could feel it in the air. For every maul that was beaten, there were two more to take their place. He rolled down a slope and found Bane there, holding off a couple of the enemy. As Snibril landed, one of the mauls sunk to the ground. A backhand swipe took care of the other. "We're losing," said Snibril. "We need a miracle." There was a bugle call behind them. The mauls turned. There was another army advancing. Bracando was in the lead. They could hear his shout over the noise. Madam, hold it by the other end. Now, now, ladies, don't all push. Careful of that spear; you could do someone a mischief. He isn't there to the point, young man," said an old lady who shouldn't have been anywhere near a battlefield. "No, madam, that is the butt. The point is the sharp bit at the other end. Then out of the way, young man, so as I can use it." The women weren't the most efficient fighters Bane had ever seen. But Bracando had spent a couple of days giving them some secret training. Besides, not having been trained as proper soldiers was even a help. Do my eyes, soldiers weren't up to novel ways invented as you went along, like hitting an enemy across the back of the knees with the end of a spear and stabbing him as he fell over. The women fought nastier, and it still wasn't enough. Deep in the hairs, Kulena the Thunorg moved without walking. She passed through future after future, and there they were, nearly all alike: defeat, the end of the empire, the end of the unimaginative men who thought there was a better way of doing things than fighting, the death of Bane, the death of Snibril, everyone dead, for nothing. Now she moved without running, faster and faster through all the future of maybe. They streamed past her. These were all the futures that never got written down. All of them had to happen somewhere, but not here," she said. And then there was one, and only one. She was amazed. It was the million to one chance that the defenders would win. She was fascinated. 
They were strange people, the Dumai. They thought they were as level-headed as a table, and yet in a great big world full of chaos and darkness, they acted as though they really believed in their little inventions like law and justice. Amazing that they should have even one chance of a future. Kulena smiled and went to see what it was. What you look at, you change. The mules pulled back again, but only to regroup. All around the ruins of Ware, people were sitting in small groups or tending the wounded. Snibril hadn't seen Bracando or Pismire for a long time. There was movement among the enemy. Snibril sighed. Here they come again, he said, standing up. History, eh? said Glurk, picking up his spear. One final glorious stand. The mules began to charge. But it seemed half-hearted. The ones in the front kept on coming, but gradually the ones behind slowed down. Within a few seconds they were milling around in bewilderment. The defenders stared. Why are they stopping? said Glurk. Snibril squinted at the shadows between the hairs. There's something else there, he said. More moors? He blinked. It's whites. Thousands and thousands of whites. They're attacking the moors. Bane looked around at the defenders. Then we've got one choice, he said. Charge! Caught between two armies, the moors didn't even have a million to one chance. And the whites fought like mad things. Worse, they fought like sane things, with the very best weapons they'd been able to make, cutting and cutting. Like surgeons, Pismire said later, or people who had found out that the best kind of future is one you make yourself. Afterwards, they found that Athan the White had died in the fighting, but at least he hadn't known he was going to. Athan's new ideas had flashed like fire from white to white. You don't have to accept it. You can change what's going to happen. It was an idea that had never occurred to them before. And then it was over. No one could find the Emperor. No one looked very hard. No one said anything, but somehow everyone assumed that Bane was in charge now. The question of food was easily settled. There were dead snags everywhere. As Glurk said, there was no sense in letting them go to waste. And then they brought in John Relish. He'd been badly injured by a spear, but Glurk's snark-gathering party had found him alive. Despite his wounds, the mole raised his head proudly. I will show you how a mole can die, he said. We know that already, said Bane matter-of-factly. What I want to know is, why? Why attack us? We serve Frey. Frey hates life in the carpet. Merely a natural phenomenon, murmured Pismire bound to yield to scientific observation and deduction. John Relish growled at him. Throw him in a cell somewhere, said Bane. But we should kill him, said Glurk. No, you've been listening to Bracando too often, said Bane. Bracando bristled. You know what he is. Why not kill... He began, but he was interrupted. Because it doesn't matter what he is. It matters what we are. They all looked around. Even John Relish. It was me, thought Snibril. I didn't realise I said it aloud. Oh well, that's what matters, said Snibril. 
That's why Ware was built, because people wanted to find better ways than fighting, and stop being afraid of the future. We never joined the Empire, said Bricando. When it was time to choose, whose side were you on, said Snibril. Anyway, you were part of the Empire, you just didn't know it. What would you do if the Empire didn't exist? Go back to throwing people off rocks. I don't throw people off rocks. John Relish's head turned from one to the other in fascination. These, said John Relish in astonishment, these beat me, weak, stupid people arguing all the time. Amazing, isn't it? said Bane. Take him away and lock him up. I demand an honourable death. Listen to me, said Bane, and now the tone of his voice was like bronze. I killed Gormalish, because people like that shouldn't be allowed to exist. You, I'm not sure about. But if you annoy me one more time, I'll kill you where you stand. Now, take him away. Snibril stared. He'd do it, he thought. Here and now. It dawned on him that he'd much rather face a fighting mad Bracando or John Relish in a fury than Bane. Snibril's right, though, said Pismire, as the silent mule was hurried off. Everyone's done things the old way. Now we'll have to find a new way. The Empire... I'm not sure there's going to be an Empire again, said Bane. What? But there's got to be an Empire, said Pismire. There might be something better, said Bane. I'm thinking about it. Lots of small countries and cities joined together could be better than one big empire. I don't know. He looked up. At the back of the group were some of the whites. They hadn't said anything. A white stepped forward and pulled back his hood, revealing that he was, in fact, a her. I have to speak to you she said. My name is Tarion the Mine Master. We are leaving now. We think... We think we can feel a future now. We are remembering once more. I'm sorry, said Bane. We have chosen a new thread. I don't understand you. We are whites again, proper whites. We think we are beginning to remember a new history. So now, if you please, we will go back to our lives. She smiled. I remember I said this. Oh, said Bane. He looked embarrassed, a practical man faced with something he was too busy to understand. Well, good. I'm glad for you. We will meet again. We are sure. Well, um, thank you again. The whites were already filing out. Snibril slipped away after them. Tarion, he called. She turned. Yes? Why go away? What did you mean? She frowned. We tried this, this deciding. We listened to Athan. He told us about the way of making choices. We have tried it, 
It is terrible. How can you do it, living and not knowing what will happen? We think it's normal, said Snibril. How strange, strange such courage. Well, goodbye. You have made up your mind to leave where? Yes, I, uh, how did you know that? She looks joyful. I said, we can remember things again. He found Roland where he'd tethered him. Pismire spoke from right behind him, just as he was adjusting the saddle. Leaving? Snibril turned. I just want to find out about the carpet, he said. What fray is? What's at the end of it all? You said we should always ask questions. Right. Very important questions. Do you think Bane's idea will work? Who knows? It's the time to try new things. Yes. Snibril climbed into the saddle. Now I want to see all the things you told me about, he said. The chair leg, the hearth, the edge. Let me know what they're like then, said Pismire. I only read about them. Right. <laughs> yes, I will, if I find time. Well then, goodbye. Goodbye. Come back and... and tell us about it sometime. This last word was a shout, for Snibril had urged Roland forward. Pismire walked slowly back. Snibril stopped again a little way from where, and breathed deeply of the carpet air. He felt a little sad. But there would always be somewhere to return to, somewhere. He smiled and patted Roland's neck. Then, with rising hope and streaming hair, he urged the white horse into a gallop, and they disappeared among the crowding hares. <laughs>